So we are in week four of this series called Starting Over. What a great time of year to say we can start over in our life. I mean, we, ha- we all need do-overs. I don't know about you, but I've had many times in my life, I just need a do-over in my life. I mess up so much, and it's like, Lord, I need to come to you and just, I need you to fix this. And so uh, week one, we, uh, we had talked about uh, our regrets. And of course, this whole series is all about living beyond our regrets, okay? How many of y'all have ever had a regret in your life? Okay, every hand should be raised. It's not your lying. All right, good. So we've all made mistakes, and we all have some regrets in our life. And the first week, we talked about revisiting our regrets, and we revisited them. I had you write down those regrets on an index card. You turned them in without your name on them, thank goodness, because those are some pretty, pretty big regrets. And so we revisited them, and I reminded you that we should not ignore our regrets. We should actually love them and actually learn uh, from those regrets. And regrets really start because we have longings outside of God. You know, God has given each and every one of us the longing for purpose, the longing for love, to make a difference. And when we make choices outside of the God longings, outside of God's plan, that's when the regrets happen. And then we make a regret and we have more longings and we make another regret out of God's God's longing. And then we're stuck in this sort of sorry cycle. We're just kind of stuck making these mistakes and having all of these regrets in our lives. And uh, regrets come in action, inaction, or reaction. But God wants to take your story, and he wants to flip it. He wants to change it. And uh, he has a new storyline for you. In week two, we talked about we wanted to recognize our regrets. Um, We actually took those regrets that you put on the index card, and we actually put them on a canvas. Okay? So we have this canvas up here, and we wrote them, and some of them were really big red letters, and some of them smaller black letters. And and sometimes, I mean, regrets really can be pretty ugly. And so that's what we did. We made this canvas uh, kind of not good to look at, but all the regrets, uh, every card was represented uh, for that. And uh, we learned about David, King David, how he was living in a regret and he didn't even realize it. With his relationship with Bathsheba, he ordered that her husband be killed uh, in battle. And the prophet Nathan came to him and said, hey dude, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on in your life. And, and you don't even realize it. You're going on as if nothing is wrong. You don't even recognize your regrets. And of course, David, being the man that he is, humbled himself before the Lord and wrote Psalm 51 in just a beautiful psalm. I encourage you to read that. But that was his response to his regret. And so how we respond to our regret is huge. It starts with recognizing our regrets. And, uh, and then we moved on into releasing our regrets. This was last week. We got a chance to release our regrets, and, uh, but before we uh, release our regrets, we need to understand, as we talked about last week, what has happened, what has happened in that situation, who's responsible, and how have we reacted to it. And um, some examples of releasing some regrets, I, I talked about some of these. You, you need to have a conversation. Some of you need to have that tough conversation. You need to pick up the phone and say, you know, I apologize, or Please forgive me. Whatever that is, uh, having that tough conversation is, is the first step in releasing those regrets. Uh, another way um, is through, uh, through prayer. Just asking God, Lord, I give this over to you. Another way is writing a letter uh, to that person, whether they're alive and sending it to them, or uh, even if they're, they're no longer here on this earth, just even writing them a letter and just kind of getting that regret 
off of, uh, uh, out of your heart and out of your life and uh, to understand that, you know, God, this, this regret, I'm giving it to you. I even suggested somebody, hey, why don't you just, you know, put a regret and put it, uh, attach it to some healing balloons, a bunch of them, and let it float up to the sky and you'll never see it again. And so whatever it takes, releasing those regrets to God. And you and I, we did something last week that was really cool. This canvas, we took that canvas. Remember, we had all those regrets. We took that canvas, and we painted in crimson red that canvas. And uh, we, we were able to cover all of those regrets as a way of releasing them to the Lord. And even as a sign that it takes the blood, the crimson blood of Jesus Christ to cover our regrets. Now, one thing to make clear, those regrets are still there. Those regrets are still on that canvas. And we're going to dive into a little bit more of that in the message. And so we, uh, we painted over those regrets. Well, uh, today we're going to do something um, a little different. And so what we're going to do with this painting is we are going to, um, uh, we're going to add something to this. So uh, we have a local uh, artist that I would like to invite up here, and um, his name is Chase. Hey, Chase, come up, up here. You guys give it up for Chase. Um, so Chase is a local artist, and um, he's uh, uh, just a, a neighbor of ours, and I met him through another friend, and uh, he said, well, he's got a great heart for God. But uh, Chase, let me just ask you just a couple of questions about you as an artist. First of all, how long have you been doing art? Painting and all that stuff. Um, yeah, hold it up to your mouth. Probably like eight or nine years. Eight or nine years. I mean, I've always like been a drawer and painter, but I didn't get serious about it until eight or nine years ago. So when did you move from stick figures to like, you know, the next level? Like what age? Um, probably like seventh or eighth grade. Okay, I'm still on stick figures. <laughs> so I might need to get some help from you. Yeah. Um, okay, so now... You really like, because you and I have talked a lot uh, this past couple of weeks, um, you really like doing something with your art for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so kind of describe that a little bit. Well, right now I'm actually getting kind of out of painting and more into sculpture. And I'm doing a lot of uh, like end times, revelation, visual mm -hmm. representations, like in my own kind of creative way from God. So that's what I'm doing right now. And it's been fun. And it, it's been cool to see like how it works out. Awesome. Now, how has, um, what have you kind of learned through um, anything about the Lord, anything about God, your relationship with Him through art? Anything you've learned about God, about your Father, about Him as Savior? Has He revealed anything uh, to you? Well, I think God instills creativity in everyone. I think it excites people, even if you're not creative. And so, like, when people see awesome paintings or sculptures or whatever it may be, they get something inside of them happens and they're just like, oh, that's crazy, that's awesome. So it's cool to see people get excited by art who aren't used to being around art. And you know, God created art, so. Yeah, awesome. That's what I would say about that. Awesome, so here's what we're gonna do. Uh, Chase is, while I'm doing my sermon, Chase is going to go behind this canvas and he's going to paint a picture. And uh, during my message, now, you know, feel, you can look at him as much as you want, you know, but I encourage you to pay attention to the message as well. But here's what I would like to do. I would like for us to pray for Chase, not only for, because uh, I believe you've got a ministry in, in art, 
And I believe God's going to use your art for great things. We're going to pray for Chase, that God would expand his ministry. But also, we're going to pray for Chase, that God speaks to him during the message. And uh, so join with me in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for Chase. And thank you, Lord, for his heart. Thank you, Lord, for calling him and for gifting him. And uh, Lord, you are a creative God, and, and, um, and you love the fact that, um, that people, people that you created, love to create as well. And so we ask you, Lord, that you help Chase do great and wonderful things uh, in his ministry. We pray, Father, that his art uh, would uh, cause people to think about um, their life, to think about you as creator. We pray, Father, that you uh, give favor to Chase, Lord. He's got uh, lots of great opportunities on the horizon. We ask you, Lord, you give him wisdom to know which path to choose. And we pray, Father, uh, that while uh, you are speaking through me and while you're speaking in the hearts of people, you also speak to Chase. And, Lord, uh, craft his heart, uh, guide his hand, and guide his eyes. And, Lord, let him, um, let him just be attuned to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, give it up for Chase. So Chase is going to uh, do this, and just whenever you're ready, just flip this over, and that'll work. All right, so, um, so that's pretty cool. So hopefully, uh, while I'm preaching, I won't, like, mess him up, you know, but we'll see on that. So today, while Chase is kind of getting ready, we are, um, let me tell you a story about a young boy. His name is William Webb Ellis. Now, William Webb Ellis is back in the 19th century in England, and, um, and he was a, uh, a teenager and at his school, and he enjoyed playing cricket, and he also enjoyed playing football. Now, football wasn't invented at that time, and uh, so we're talking about, uh, you know, England, European football, which is what we call soccer. All right. So he played soccer and uh, at his school, and he was a very passionate competitor at his school. Uh, but even sometimes he would take unfair advantage uh, of that sport while he played uh, football, so- soccer. And uh, according to the story, um, uh, William, well, um, William Webb Ellis uh, was playing in a soccer game at his school around 1823. And uh, when he had the inclination to take unfair advantage um, of, the, uh, of the other team. And uh, in a game where the players were not supposed to handle the ball with their hands, Ellis picked up the ball and ran with it towards the goal. So most likely he got called back by the officials. Maybe people, the spectators, maybe the other team, maybe even his own teammates were uh, sort of booing him. Maybe Ellis regretted his violation. Uh, in that game, the rules of, of football, soccer. But apparently his actions were not soon forgotten. Uh, someone seemed to have said, hey, why not let the players carry the ball? So in any case, around uh, in the 1840s, uh, a few years later, the game of football as played, or soccer, as played at his school had evolved uh, into a point where it was ruled acceptable to handle the ball. Do you know what school uh, that William Webb Ellis was at. He was a school called Rugby. And at the school, yes, William Webb Ellis was the originator of rugby football. And today is still honored by having the cup for the world uh, championship of this sport uh, called the William Webb Ellis Cup. And if you go to rugby, rugby school in, in England today, you'll see a statue representing William Webb Ellis, a schoolboy uh, athlete running with the football in his hands. 
So not many of us here in the United States are really particular with a lot of rugby, but one thing that we are familiar with, we are familiar with uh, football. And football, as we know, American football has got its, uh, its origins from rugby. So quite possibly, there would be no Friday nights at high school stadiums across the country. No, no college bowl games with painted fanatics in the stands. No signing day, no Super Bowl tonight if it hadn't been for a rule violation committed by a schoolboy nearly two centuries ago. Some unexpected and remarkable things come out of a situation. For a while, they look like a mistake. They look like, hey, you made a mistake. You, you, it's something that you regret. But if he had never done that, we quite possibly would not have football as we know it. And we all know that, you know, football's king. And so that's what's called redemption. That's what's called redemption. When God takes a mistake and turns it into something great, turns it into something great. You know, we revisited our regrets. You know, we, we revisited and we, we recognized them in week two. We released them. So our final step today's message, as we close it out, is redeeming our regrets. God wants us to redeem our regrets. Redemption will urge you to take the long view of your regrets. How you perceive your regret now isn't how you will see it in the future. So whatever your regret is, looks like now, just know this. In the future, God has another look for your regret. Just we got to trust in God to make sure everything comes out okay. You know, the Greek word for, for redemption means deliverance or rescue. In the, in the New Testament, it is used over and over again. And it's, it's the word used to describe Jesus by giving up his life on the cross and delivering us or rescuing us from our sin and making something beautiful out of our lives. Historically, the word redemption was used in reference to the purchase of slaves' freedom. A slave was redeemed when the price was paid for his or her freedom. So why is that relevant? Because we can be, you and I can be enslaved by our regrets, or we can let God redeem our regrets and find freedom. Only he can, only he can through Jesus. So if you are enslaved with some sort of regret in your life, Jesus came and bought that freedom. And so you don't need to be enslaved any longer because he can take that regret that you've been living with, whether it be a great regret or a small regret, and turn it into something beautiful, turn it into something great. There's someone here today uh, I want to just tell his quick story about someone here who had been enslaved by regret. Jason and Andrea Sweetman are members here at Lake Point Church. Jason, where you at, buddy? Yeah, he's right there, right in the middle. So um, they're members here at Lake Point Church. Jason grew up playing sports. Yeah, one look at him, you'll understand why. But he had a strong love for football in high school. He was one of the top high school players in, in his state. So he was highly recruited. Uh, Jason was offered a full scholarship to play running back and linebacker at Penn State. Everything was going great for Jason Sweetman. He was a top athlete, 
but he was also a top partier. He could handle a bottle of beer almost even better than a football. But just like football, his party lifestyle could knock him down. And that's exactly what happened one night. As Jason suffered a career-ending injury due to a car accident his senior year of high school because of his actions at a party. No more football. No more Penn State. Just like his body, Jason's dreams were shattered. I believe today, and Jason will tell you this as well, he believes he could have been playing in the NFL. He lost his scholarship. The doctor said he would not walk or run again at, at 100%. Jason was falling deep into his regret. His regret was being defining who Jason was. Jason fell harder into alcohol and drugs. He served time in jail because of a felony assault. In 1997, um, Jason suffered a severe injury at his job. It just kept going one after another. He was labeled disabled. Jason fell into deep depression. He grew a lot of weight, topping about 315 pounds. You can probably see some pictures right there. Jason, I put the wear of the donut. Sorry, dude. I thought it was funny. So he topped about 315 pounds. You know, that one party, a few drinks and a car ride, haunted him with regrets for the rest of his life. The regret of, if only I would have done this or not have done this. If only those thoughts enslaved him. But God had a different storyline for Jason. Uh, God was calling out to him, and Jason listened Jason established a relationship with Jesus. God began pulling him out of his despair. Jason proceeded to work at getting healthy again. During that time, he lost 110 pounds in 10 months. 110 pounds in 10 months. So if you want to lose weight, talk to Jason. He knows how to do that. And there's some pictures right there, okay? It's my aspirations one day. Through Christ, Jason has and continues to conquer alcoholism, depression, anger issues, and an unhealthy lifestyle. What is Jason doing now today? Let me tell you something. He is a football coach. There's some slides about that. He's a football coach, and he is inspiring many young men to make great choices and live beyond their mistake and regret. Jason is a new man and one best described, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 17, and it says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. The new is here. Jesus has renewed and has redeemed Jason's regrets. He has redeemed his regrets. The new is here. Let me, when I read this this week, I've read that verse, it seems like hundreds or a thousand times in my life. But it, it's interesting where it says, the new is here. Can I tell you something? This is, I think, what God wants to tell you today. Whatever regret you're living in right now, the newness, the redemption of that regret is here. It's here. It's not way, way off in the future. It's here. It's here today. And so don't think that it's something that is going to come in many, many, many years from now. 
Jesus sets us free. When God goes to work on an area of regret, he sets us free from our captivity to the sorry cycle, feeling sorry for ourselves. Uh, He takes what once was considered a loss and turns it into a gain, and he restores hope in our life. What sets this stage apart from the other ones, you know, the other stages that we talked about of revisiting our regret, recognizing, and even releasing, is that redemption, redeeming our regret, is not something that we do. We can't redeem our regret. You cannot redeem your regret. Just like you cannot redeem your sins. The only way that your sins can be redeemed, my sins can be redeemed, is through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and believing on that sacrifice and believing in him. Let it be Lord and Savior of your life. And so this step is not something, okay, I just want to do something. Especially all you guys out there, we just like to do something. Just, I need to move something from here to there. Or I need to check something off or whatever. And what do I need to do to make this final step? Can I tell you what? You're, the only thing you have to do is surrender. Surrender to God and to be able to say, you know, Lord, I need you to redeem my regret. It's something only God can do. And he can make something very, very beautiful. Uh, a mistake turned into miracle. Evil converted into something good. Tragedy transformed into an opportunity. Whatever that regret is, he can make it into something new, something beautiful. Look what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things. Everybody say all things. Say it again. All things. In all things, yes, even in our regrets, God wants to make all things new. And he, he wants to, to, to use his power and his abilities for the working of good. I love in that those, those four little words right there in the middle says, all things God works for the good. Right now, God is working in the hearts of people redeeming their regrets. He is working in creative ways. Because let me tell you something, God loves to paint. Chase is painting right now. And just like Chase is painting, God is painting a new portrait, a new picture, a new creation for your life, even right now. And he is working for our good. He loves to paint. God is in the business of redeeming and recycling. He's always been into taking the worst, the least, or the last of people's lives and turning them into something uh, that is so much more. Let me give you some examples you can find in God's word. You probably have heard some of these. Jacob, who was a thief and a con man, God redeemed and recycled his conniving life, and he became the father of a great nation. What about Moses? Moses was a murderer, But God redeemed his rage and hatred, and he became the greatest leader in Israel's history. What about David? We talked about him already. David was an adulterer and a murderer, but God redeemed and recycled his passion, and he became the greatest of kings. Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, but God redeemed and recycled her immorality, and she became a saint. Paul 
was a persecutor of the early Christian movement. But God redeemed and recycled his closed-minded legalism and turned him into the greatest missionary in history. God can take and redeem, and he can even recycle. Back when I was a kid, we used to have Coke bottles that were made of glass. Anybody remember those? Yeah. How many of y'all, you ever remember those glass bottles? You would take it and you would, you would cash it in, get like a dime, and you'd go buy like football cards or baseball cards, you know? And then you would take that, and what, what would Coca-Cola do? They would take that recycled bottle, and they would wash it out, and then they would do something that only Coca-Cola can do. Fill it up with their product. Fill it up with Coke. I couldn't fill it up with Coke. There's no way. But only they can do that. That's a sign, a symbol of what God can do in your life. Only God can fill you up with who he is. All you got to do is give him your life. Give him your, your, your dirty, bottled, empty, bottled self. The bottles that I turned in weren't clean. They were ugly. They are nasty. I'd find one in the ditch. I'd, hey, that's money. And so you don't have to cl- be clean to give him your life. He wants to redeem. You know, my redemption is different from your redemption story. Each each person in this room has a different redemption story. Each time God redeems uh, someone's difficult situation, it is perfectly adapted for him or her. God is repainting your life's picture in ways that you may not even know. And, and definitely ways that are different from, from mine or different from the person that's sitting next to you. His picture for your life is unique. Just like Chase. Chase's picture that he's painting is unique. No one else is going to be able to paint this same picture. No one but God can repaint your life, can redeem your regrets. But we have to trust the artist. Right now, we don't, I mean, you don't know what Chase is painting, you know? Could he be painting something spectacular, or could he be painting Mickey Mouse? I mean, I don't know, you know? But as, as, he, as he paints that, guess what we're doing right now? We're trusting Chase. We're trusting. In just a moment, we're going to see what Chase is painting. And, but we got to trust him. Same way with God. We've got to trust in God to know that he has the paintbrush. You know, if we give him our canvas, our life, he's not going to throw away our life and, and, try to, and, and try to bring in a new canvas. You know, that's not something we did. The canvas started off empty and white, and we put in regrets Okay, those regrets are still there, and, and then we painted over those, and those regrets are still there underneath where we painted. He is going to include your regrets in his painting for your life. You need to understand that. If there's anything you don't understand, you have got to understand this. Because some of you who are living with regrets need this, but some of you, some of us, There's regrets that we still have not yet made, and you need to remember this, that God is going to use your regrets in your painting, in his painting for your life. It will be spectacular. It will be beautiful. 
It will be awesome, like only he can. Here's some examples. Maybe, maybe your redemption painting that God, God is painting on your life, maybe it will include a picture. Imagine this. A picture of a path going along to the woods, and it represents your life going back to God. Or maybe, maybe your portrait is something like this. Maybe your redemption painting will include a, 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 a humongous, beautiful tree, an oak tree that's planted by the stream. And it represents God growing you spiritually, getting in a place where he's even using rede- your redemption story to draw him closer to you and to, and to grow you spiritually to where you can even disciple others. Or what about this painting? Maybe your redemption painting will include a tire swing under a tree with a child swinging on it. Maybe that's a child you had at a wedlock. God's saying, it's okay. It's okay. I got this. I can take this what seemed like a mistake, what could seem like a regret, and I can make it into something beautiful. Or maybe your redemption story that he's painting will include pictures of of mended hearts representing the marriages you helped to save out of your own marriage struggles because, because of the mistakes that you may have made in your marriage, in your life. God can use those, those regrets and to say, you have a story to tell and I want you to tell that story to other people and I want people to learn from that. Maybe that's your picture. There's so, many, there's so many different portraits that we can talk about. But I do know this. God has a portrait for your life. God has a painting for your life. The question is, have you given him the paintbrush? The question is, have you given God the paintbrush? Because he loves to paint. And have you given him the canvas of your life? And are you patient? Art takes patience. We've been waiting for Chase. Chase, how are we doing back there? Huh? Okay, how much time? We're good. So just like Chase is, is painting this picture, um, this portrait, know this, that we're going to be patient because art takes time. Good things take time. It's like good food. You, you know, fast food, it's not really great food unless it's Chick-fil-A. You know, we all like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> but if you really want a great, awesome meal, you want that meal to take some time. You know, my, my wife's family, she grew up in, in, in Louisiana, and there's some great cooking down in the southern part of Louisiana, especially between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. There's lots of good cooking down there. And my wife's uh, father, he, he has a huge pot, and he can make jambalaya for 200 people or more. But it takes all day 
all day long. And he's asked me before, hey, Frank, you better come help me make this jambalaya. I was like, how long would that take? He said, about eight hours. And I'm like, I don't have that kind of time. I can't, I can't spend a whole day, you know. And, and really, he, you stir it with like an oar, like you, like really, like you paddle with, you know. And so, but it takes time, but it's so good. It's so good. And, and my wife, thank you, Jesus, she knows how to make this jambalaya now, and it's awesome. So I don't have to wait till we go down to Louisiana to, to visit her, her family. But she, she has a smaller pot, and she takes this jambalaya, and I know she's already spread it to a few of y'all, the recipe, and y'all are enjoying that. It's awesome. If you want the recipe, it'll cost $150, checks payable to Frank Bennett. No, but the, in seriousness, it takes a lot of time for that meal to be made, but it's so good. So I know you're, I'm making you hungry, but it's so good because it takes time. God wants to cook up something in your life. He wants to create something in your life that tastes good. Yeah, it, it, may, be, it may be messy at times. And, and, and the worst part about jambalaya, cooking jambalaya, I've never cooked it. I eat it. I don't cook it. I eat it. But the worst part about jambalaya is the onions because my, my eyes are really, really sensitive. And so when, when they're chopping up onions, I have, to leave the, I have to leave the neighborhood. I have to, I have to go to another zip code because the onions, are, they're, they're, they're brutal. And so they fill up the house. You know, but if you don't have the onions, you don't have the taste. And the onions can kind of hurt your eyes and stuff. But it's an important part of that recipe. It's an important part of that, uh, of, of, of that time that it takes to make that jambalaya. Just like onions. Maybe you have regrets in your life that are like the onions. Maybe it's like, man, your regrets in your life, they make you tear up. They make you want to leave home. They make you want to leave away from, from your loved ones. But those onions, those regrets in your life, they're part of your story. Now, let me tell you something. They don't define you. Some of you have been living your life defined by your regrets. It's time to let that go. It's time to let that go. And to understand that those regrets are part of the recipe and, if we're talking about painting, part of the picture. Because, again, remind you, Underneath this painting that we're going to see, underneath this painting is written regrets. They're still there, and they're part of this beautiful picture that God is painting through Chase and that God wants to paint through your life. So have you given God the paintbrush? It takes patience. And in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, it says this, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. For those who wait for him. So, for those who wait on the Lord... God acts on your behalf. God is 
your artist. God is your artist painting your new story. We got to wait on him. We got to be patient and it's okay. But know this, he's got that portrait and he's got that in his heart and he's got that in his head.